those political connections and the alliances that he's built in Congress and in the White House that's helped him to push his case forward. National security classification could simply be kind of a kind of sources and methods classification. Karim Murza's case has been discussed at pretty high levels in not only in Congress, but the intelligence community and, and the White House National Security Council. You know, when when I when I first started looking into this case in, in late 2015, I also I, I didn't quite know what to make of it. Hello there. You're listening to The Naked Pravda. I'm your host, Kevin Rothrock, Medusa's English language managing editor. Welcome to this year's Christmas episode. I'm actually recording this before Christmas. Also, this is a Russia-focused show, and the Russians don't even celebrate Christmas until January 7th. And another thing, this episode has nothing to do with Christmas. But we're releasing the show on December 25th, so it's a Christmas episode. Damn it. Anyway, where was I? Ah, yes. I'm Kevin Rothrock. And this is The Naked Pravda. If you've been following the news lately in Russia, where it's definitely not yet Christmas, or more importantly, if you've been reading Medusa, and I hope very much that you have been, you'll know that the headlines have been jam-packed with stories about Alexei Navalny, the opposition figure, some say opposition leader, but that's not exactly an elected title, Anyway, the opposition leader figure who was poisoned with a nerve agent back in August. He's back in the news in a big way following a bombshell investigative report by Bellingcat and a bunch of other outlets who used leaked phone records and flight databases to track and identify a team of operatives and toxin experts from Russia's Federal Security Service, the FSB, who followed and presumably tried to kill Mr. Navalny. Navalny then, posing as a senior government official, called up one of these alleged federal agents and got him to talk pretty openly for almost an hour about the FSB's efforts to erase any evidence of the poison used against Navalny. It's all very stirring, disturbing stuff. There's intrigue, there's even a bit of comedy. You should go back and immerse yourself in it if you haven't already. But that's not our story on today's show. Not directly, anyway. Last week, just as Bellingcat's bombshell dropped, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty journalists Mike Eckel and Carl Schreck published an update about their years-long investigation into the poisonings of Vladimir Karamuza, another Russian opposition activist who's not as well-known as Navalny, but few are. Like Navalny, he ended up in a coma. Also like Navalny, he suspects that the Russian authorities poisoned him in retaliation for his political activism. Their cases aren't identical, however, and the differences are particularly striking when it comes to the West responses. It's actually a bit of a sticky subject, and I think it's quite remarkable that the media outlet doing the most to prod the U.S. government into being more transparent about Qatar Moza's case is RFERL, which is also funded by the U.S. government. It would be something like Russia Today leading the charge to pressure the FSB to release its evidence in the Paul Whelan espionage case. What a world that would be, right? He told me when I interviewed him after, you know, in the, several months after his first poisoning in um, 2015, you know, he says he has no illusions that he has any sort of, you know, political heft that uh, Alexei Navalny does. It was an interesting choice <laughs> in hindsight for that comparison. That's Carl Schreck, one of the RFRL journalists who's been pursuing Karamuza's story for the past five years. 
I asked him to describe Karamazov's specific kind of activism and to explain why the Russian authorities might want him dead. It comes down to lobbying, Carl says. He has been extremely active in lobbying uh, U.S. and uh, European lawmakers for sanctions against Russian officials, against basically Putin's ruling elite, and in particular the Magnitsky Act. Now, he was a reporter in the United States and ended up uh, staying there. And so he is, he, his family resides outside Washington and over the years, he built very strong relationships with, you know, key members of uh, the U.S. Congress, including John McCain. And he was a very effective lobbyist, um, obviously, together, you know, with Bill Browder was obviously the, the key lobbying force behind this. But Karmorza did a lot of very quiet lobbying to connections that he'd, he'd made on the Hill uh, to introduce the Magnitsky Act and other, and other uh, punitive sanctions against the, you know, the, the, the Kremlin's ruling elite. So yes, his, uh, his political weight is much more abroad in, in the United States and in, and in European capitals than, you know, there, there's, nobody has any illusions that Vladimir Konomorzas someday is going to come back to Russia and become president. But he has wielded the, you know, the, the political influence that he has fairly effectively. Carl's co-author and colleague at RFRL, Mike Eckel, says Karamazov's connections in Washington make his story particularly interesting for American readers. I think that's actually a, a, what makes the story more relevant, I guess, to the broader readership is that that's in large part those political connections and the alliances that he's built in Congress and in the White House, it's helped him to push his case forward, that is, to push his effort to to get the FBI and the Justice Department to reveal the scope of its investigation and what it's found over over the here we are five years since it's his first poisoning. At one point, we know from the documents that we obtained, Carl and I obtained, that the FBI director himself was involved in pushing this investigation forward. And it appears that the FBI director was involved because he was getting calls from Congress, possibly John McCain, possibly others, saying, hey, what are you doing to, to, to help Karl Mazzat to, 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 to solve this mystery? So, so as Carl said, He's Karamazov has been very effective in building those alliances in Washington, Capitol Hill, and, and leveraging them to to his benefit. Can you say a bit about the the document process? Because you know, with the investigation into the Navalny poisoning, so much of the the press has surrounded the kind of de, you know forensics that have gone into both detecting the poison in his body and then tracking the FSB agents that allegedly were following him and possibly poisoned him. With Karamazov, I know that. He has received some documents himself. The U.S. officials have been cooperating with him, I guess. And, and I know that RFRL and, and, and the two of you have been involved in sort of seeking or retrieving documents. Can you tell me a bit about what you, you two have done in your investigation to, to acquire some, some of this information that's in now in your report? So a little bit of a backstory. Um, I had been filing FOIA requests, Freedom of Information requests, on... On, on this case, sort of in, in, in the wake of the Freedom of Information lawsuit that we were successfully fought for involving the, the death of Mikhail Lesson in 2015. And Karim was aware that, that, that I had been filing these FOIA requests with 
similar agencies in 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 Washington, and he he basically saw that the 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 slowness with which the FOIA process works with the U.S. government, that lawsuit was probably the way to to speed things up and force the Justice Department to 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 start turning things over. So he filed a lawsuit earlier this year, I guess it was, and the Justice Department, after reviewing and redacting and classifying and declassifying documents, started releasing them in September, I guess it was, Carl. Is that right, when the first batch of documents started coming out? Yes, September. The documents are toxicology reports. They are medical records, not only from the U.S. where he was treated after his 2015 poisoning, but also from the Russian hospital that initially treated him. And then there's also chemical analysis done by FBI laboratories. There's a a heck of a lot of correspondence involving FBI memos among some of the the, the 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 bureau's offices in Washington and elsewhere, and and then there are the documents that they are so far refusing to release. Um, there's still how many is it? Two hundred some odd documents that that are still under classification that are, haven't been released. I've lost track of the number of documents, Carl. I think it's uh, 10 documents that are being withheld, uh, at least according to his lawyer, for national security considerations. I don't know what the exact classification is. And the rest, you know, upwards more than more than 200 for interagency review. And what does that, what does that mean? Like, if can you explain that to me as though I were an idiot, which I definitely am not. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. But like, what is, is national security? This is like somebody's... Somebody's just medical thing. Like, how's that? I'm I'm an American citizen. How's that endangering my nation's security? Even theoretically, can you speculate? Well, what we learned from the, from the most recent records we were able to obtain is that after the 2015 poisoning, as we suspected but uh, never knew, the FBI was at least ordering, or at least authorities were U.S. authorities were ordering tests for exotic poisons like dioxin and um, polonium and polonium-210. We don't know the, the, what happened with those, those tests, what the results were. Uh, we know broadly that after his 2015 near-death experience, the, it appears from the documents we've received so far that uh, U.S. authorities were not able to determine what sort of, you know, what, what might have poisoned him. So if I were to hypothesize, you know, National security classification could simply be kind of a kind of sources and methods classification. I mean, that, that's just a guess. We don't know, you know, but how they approach, you know, trying to detect exotic poisons. And there's also some speculation by, you know, Karamozov's lawyer, first and foremost, that, well, two things. One is, you know, that the FBI has been working to try and identify the toxins to figure out what it was that that almost killed them twice and it's been a sl- slow painstaking process and and you know maybe they haven't been able to turn up exactly what it is and that's kind of you know that could be a, a cause for embarrassment or you know institutional reputation or you know again it could be the fact that they know exactly what it is and they 
don't want to reveal their cards. Like Carl said, they don't want to show their, their reveal their sources and methods. They don't want to tip off, for example, the FSB or the SVR and tell them that the FBI has figured out what they're doing, how they're doing it, you know, because this could have implications potentially for, you know, the Navalny poisoning or the Skripal poisoning. So, you know, the national security exemption that keeps them from having to release unredacted documents under FOIA or in response to a FOIA lawsuit, it's a sweeping uh, and a pretty powerful exemption under under U.S. FOIA law. Uh, you know, who knows? We'll have to see what happens. Mike's right. I mean, there's, there could be any number of reasons. And, you know, it's it's really tough to to whittle it down to 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 one when we there's still so much that we don't don't know about the case. Do you have an explanation for why the responses to prominent Russian oppositionists getting poisoned have been so different between Carter Musa and the US response and Navalny and the what you might call the German response? I know that Carter Musa is particularly upset about he, he's called it, you know, Washington's it's he said it's a failure of political leadership in Washington, but he's still he still, I guess, praised the professionalism and the sophistication of, of the FBI. But he's he, for him, this seems to be a, a political issue. Is that how you, you would say he's he's described the, the issue? I think so. I think that's a fair... I mean, I think in our latest story, we quote his lawyer, and, his, the, and the lawyer's sentiments I, uh, were echoed, as we saw on Twitter and elsewhere after our story was published, that the, 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 the contrast between how the how the U.S. government reacted to the Skripal poisoning and then to the Navalny poisoning and, of course, how the German government reacted to to the Navalny poisoning in contrast to how the U.S. government has responded to his two near-fatal illnesses is is kind of striking. I mean, again, as your listeners will recall, the German government was out pretty quickly with statements saying Navalny had been poisoned by a Novichok-like substance, I think just days after he arrived in Germany in August. I believe Angela Merkel was out publicly, you know, lambasting Russia, accusing it of, 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 of propagating chemical weapons and using it to try to assassinate its citizens. And so, whereas in Karamazov's case, there hasn't been much public discussion about it. Now, I think public is key in this case because we've turned up in our reporting, both Carl and his earlier reports and, and, and me more recently, we've turned up the fact that, you know, Carl Morza's case has been discussed at pretty high levels and not only in Congress, but the intelligence community and, and the White House National Security Council. And most interesting detail that we, we turned up is that in January 2018, this would have been approximately eight or nine months after his second illness. Karmazal had recovered at that point. In January 2018, there was this really unusual meeting that happened in Washington, D.C. Then CIA Director Mike Pompeo hosted three the three chiefs of the the three Russian main intelligence agency who flew to Washington for a for a pretty unusual meeting that to the best of many people's knowledge that had never happened before and the the meeting appeared to be an effort to try and like clear the air between the the intelligence chiefs you know kind of quiet hush hush professionals you know 
and the, the U.S. is saying to the Russians, okay, we know what you're doing. We know what you're doing here. We know what you're doing there. So please cut it out and we can find a way to work together. And what our sources, what my sources turned up is, is that Karamoza's case was supposed to be on the agenda for that meeting. It was supposed to have been raised, discussed in some capacity. We never determined for a fact that it was raised, and if it was, in what, sh in, in, in what explicit detail, how the message was delivered. But what's noteworthy is that two months after that meeting happened in January 2018, March 2018, that was when the Skripal poisoning happened. So if there was a, you know, a hard message given by... Uh, Mike Pompeo or other people at the time that the Russians came to Washington, you know, to see a poisoning like the Skripal thing in England with Novichok, which, as you recall, just involved all sorts of expulsions of ambassadors and diplomats and really caused an international furor. There wasn't much of a message received um, by the Russians, it would seem, from that Washington meeting. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it was a, it was a great meeting. <laughs> Andrei Soldatov said in a recent article published at Medusa that Russian intelligence agencies like to poison the Kremlin's opponents, yeah, because it offers plausible deniability, but also because it's a way of discrediting the victim. In the case of pussy right activist Pyotr Verzilov, his illness prompted allegations of drug abuse. With Navalny, critics talk about supposed booze and diabetes. I asked Mike and Carl how this plays out in Karmuzah's case. In the 2017 one, by then... Almost two years later, he had stopped taking the, the antidepressant, again fell, you know, went into multiple organ failure. Uh, and again, you know, you heard the same chorus, oh, you know, he was alcoholic, uh, you know, a drug addict. And again, it was the same thing in black and white as Russian doctors diagnosed toxicity from an un unidentified substance. And by that time, he had, he had stopped taking the antidepressant and even the antidepressant that, you know, leading to toxicologist I talked to said that, you know, this, this, uh, these would not be the symptoms of, of toxicity from an antidepressant. And so, you know, this was the, this, uh, the, the discrediting aspect of this was, was very strong in the, in the Karamorza case. But, you know, in, in this most recent batch of records that we obtained, these FBI records, the, his, uh, the medics treating him in the United States, I think this was after the 2015 one, they said that, you know, essentially there's no way that drugs or alcohol had anything to do with, with what hurt him. They believed it was, you know, poisoning from some sort of perhaps biotoxin, either uh, intentionally or uh, inadvertently. And to be sure, the, the latest batch of documents turned up makes explicitly clear that the FBI was not saying... You know, it was not floating around, mooting around different possibilities. Oh, this was an overdose. They say quite explicitly in the in the, the memos, the correspondence, that the FBI is treating this as an intentional poisoning, full stop, period. So, you know, that's mm. it's it's not a, obviously a definitive answer to what exactly they the the bureau has found, or but it sure shows it sure you know all but deflates any sort of 
silly speculation that, oh, yeah, he was just overdosing on some antidepressant or some heartburn medication or something and certainly, you know, deflates any effort to discredit Karamazov by, by making those silly insinuations. You know, when, when, I, when I first started looking into this case in, in late 2015, I also I, I didn't quite know what to make of it. Everything was so uh, unclear what might have happened to him. I know his supporters in Washington, Qatar Mosaz supporters in Washington, also had no idea. They suspected, yeah, he may have been targeted, but who knows? You know, it, 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 it could be anything. And I, I think it was only recently after I think Navalny started giving interviews after his poisoning, you know, he was saying that, I'm paraphrasing, I know Karamazov was poisoned, but the way it's done, there's always that little sliver of doubt that maybe it was something else. And with the developments since that 2015 poisoning, with the Skripal poisoning, the second Karamazov poisoning, and now the Navalny poisoning, and the Vizilov poisoning, you know, I'm not saying that. You know, I, I, we can't say we we know 100% that Karamazov was intentionally poisoned, but certainly I think that heightens suspicion. The things that have happened over the the five years since he first uh, nearly died. Do you think that that is that? I mean, I don't know what the numbers show. In fact, the last Levada Center poll I saw about Navalny's poisoning, I think, was from October. So it was like you know a month or so after it took it had taken place, and there there seemed there was still a lot of skepticism that it had happened at all or that it was in fact, you know, a CAA operation or whatever. So there's always going to be conspiracy theories and and skepticism. But do you, I mean, just intuitively, what is your, obviously you yourself following these stories as a journalist, as you say, as the, as the instances accumulate, it becomes less and less difficult to believe that this was another, you know, oper- special operation by the Russian authorities. Do you think that they'll, they'll, there can be enough of them that that realization or that conviction will also spread to the Russian population? Or is it just two separate worlds that, you know, you're going to see it one way and the, the, the Russian masses or just the sort of general public in Russia will, is, is likely to sort of stay in their path? You know, the news that we've seen over the past few days, the past week with Navalny, you know, the, I'm referring to the Bellingcat bombshell where they reveal that they're, they got phone phone records and and GPS data that showed the FSB trailing Navalny as he was going around Siberia. And now this more recent thing uh, that came out, I guess it was just the other day, where Navalny appeared to reach one of his alleged FSB attackers and, and get him on the phone for 45 minutes. And as Navalny was pretending to be a, a superior officer in the intelligence agency, you know, Navalny is a really smart, he's charismatic, firstly, and he's really smart with his wit and his and the way he conducts his media campaigns. And, you know, I think it's not the, this is not the same pattern that we've seen in the past. And I think if last I checked the YouTube video of Navalny calling up this, this purported FSB officer was like one of the most watched Russian language YouTube videos ever, possibly. So, I mean, something's getting through, whether it results in a sea change of perceptions among the larger, the wider Russian population or outrage that, hey, our government is sending around poison hit squads to take out Russian citizens. It's hard to say. Certainly not in the short term that's going to happen. You've been listening to The Naked Pravda, an English language podcast from Medusa. 
On today's show, we heard from RFARL journalists Mike Eckel and Carl Schreck about their reporting on the U.S. authorities' investigation into the poisoning of Russian oppositionist Vladimir Karamuza. The Naked Pravda is a podcast from Medusa. It's our only English-language show. And I hope you recommend us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in to help put this program in front of more people. Thank you for listening, and come back soon. The Naked Pravda.